Welcome to Unconditional Love Fellowship with Bishop Malcolm Smith. This is webinar episode 100, recorded June 4th, 2013, Better Than Life. The Lord be with you. I want to share with you tonight um, something that is very, what shall I say, um, basic to those who have been with us these number of years, or even number of months, something I, I talk about a lot. It's the very foundation of how we understand the Holy Trinity. Um, but I, I feel constrained within me that we visit this basic subject because there are some things that are basic. You never move away you have to know them every day of your life. And so in Psalm number 63, Psalm number 63, number one, verse one, O God, thou art my God. I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have beheld thee in the sanctuary, see thy power and thy glory, because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise thee, so I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Okay, there is a lot there. But the, the basic phrase that I want to imprint upon our souls tonight is that because your loving kindness is better than life, uh, it, it's something of a strange expression until we delve into it. Something here, he said, loving kindness is better than life. Okay, first of all, it's of note anyway to see when David wrote this. It's always of interest to know the background, the canvas on which his words are painted. And at the head of the psalm, I'm sure in most of your Bibles, it, it describes it. It says, this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now that places it at a very specific time when his father-in-law, Saul the king, was pursuing him, determined to kill him and get rid of him out of his jealousy and the popularity of David. And so David had fled from the city, fled from the palace, and he now is wandering in this desert, this terrible desert. It's the beginning uh, of the Sinai Desert. It's, it's up here in Judah, but it's going to get worse down there. But, but here is bad enough. And the words that are used to describe this desert here and elsewhere, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a desert. I mean, really in a desert. You, you're in a place without road or tracks, because any track that is made is quickly blown away and buried in more dust and sand. Um, you, you are there in a terrible sense of aloneness. You are alone. You can do 360 turn and see nothing but sand and scrub and cactus. You, you feel so vulnerable. You are without protection. And, of course... Uh, very much to the forefront. It's a place where you're not going to find food, and above all, you are not going to find water. And, and so you, you live on the edge of death by uh, thirst. You, you, you are there being dehydrated by the burning sun just as you live and walk. And of course, the, the desert is a very strange place not only alone, but it's a place of mirages. You, you know, you look and you see, and, and you really do see. You see trees, you see water, but when you get there, it isn't there. It's a mirage caused by the sun and the desert and whatever. Place of illusions, place of hope that is dashed. 
Ah, the desert. In fact, the Hebrew people, I'm not saying this is true, but the Hebrew people believed that the desert was the abode of demons, that, that, that the desert was in some way full of demonic power. And there are certain things in the scripture that would get, lend itself to that. Um, Jesus speaks of a demon being cast out and going off into dry places, desert. Uh, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, in fact, in this same wilderness. Uh, and so um, we, we, we can certainly put it in there uh, as a, a place of, of soul terror, uh, a place of oppression, terrifying aloneness. And what condition he was in physically, he makes it plain here that it is but a reflection of where he's at in his mind and imagination, in his spirit, in his inner invisible self. Um, it matched his, uh, his soul matched his physical situation. He felt within himself scorched. He felt weary, drained, you know, wrung out as in a desert, your body is wrung out of water. He felt within himself that he was wrung out, a drained man. Uh, this, is, this is David at this point as, you know, what, what, what's his future? His father-in-law who, who is king and therefore has all the authority to call his armies to pursue David even into this place, which he did. Um, he's alone. Uh, the people, I mean, there's no texting, there's no email, there's no TV, you understand, of course. Uh, there's no way of communicating with any that might be his friends. He's alone alone. And of course, in fleeing into this wilderness, he's lost everything, lost everything, left it behind in the city, can't return, probably already confiscated by this madman, Saul, his father-in-law. And of course, there's always back there in the back of your head, the, the Lord Samuel, the prophet, had in the name of God anointed David to become the next and really the true first king of Israel. And the, the oil of Samuel's anointing had flowed over him. And there was the promise that he would rule over the people. <laughs> that feels a long way away right now. It feels impossible, looks ridiculous as he tramps through the desert sand. Um, yeah, this, this is David. And he wasn't very old. I, I would place him at this point around 20 years old, young chap. Uh, and so he, he's had very little experience, except in terms of sheep. He, he's been catapulted into the palace. He he's suddenly becomes the idol of the people, jealousy from Saul. Now, with a spear flying after him, he's on the run. And he sits somewhere in that desert and he writes this psalm, a psalm of praise and a psalm that, that directs his entire being off to God. And he says, when, when everything settles, when I center in my innermost person, there's only one thing I really want. Really and truly, at this point, I recognize that life is so fleeting. Everything is so transient. There's only one thing I really want. And he said, it is you. You are my God and I shall seek you earnestly or with all my being with the totality of my inner person, I seek after you. Now, this is the important point that I want to reiterate, even though we've been over it before. I feel it's time we've revisited this. Everything David says here, right down to his attitude, his assurance, the words he uses, 
they are all based on covenant. Until we understand that, we will not understand this psalm, but also it would be true to say you will not understand most of the psalms in their fullness, or you'll get a blessing, it's the word of God, but underneath this is the basic message of the entire Bible, and that message is in terms of covenant. David knew that he was in a covenant with the Lord, and therefore he could speak these incredible words as he sat there in such a hopeless situation. Until we understand that we are in a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we will never fully enjoy our gospel experience. Okay, so let me reiterate. What is a covenant? And let me say right away that we do, we do not have these words in our English language because in, in our Western world, we have become such a shallow people that we do not make covenants anymore. And we, we've actually uh, substituted with the word and with the action of contract. Contract is not only not covenant, it is the very opposite of covenant. Contract means I don't trust you. Contract means that you're probably going to do do me wrong behind my back, and therefore we've got to get this in writing. And if and I put it in writing, if you do this, then I will do that. If you build my house, then I will pay you. And the, the two parties to the contract agree, and you sign it. And behind that signature is the threat of a lawsuit. Well, what's a contract? A contract is to protect myself. A contract, it's putting up a castle wall between me and someone who could potentially hurt me and that that's a contract it's it's self for myself protecting myself against you what's a covenant as i said the very opposite a covenant is the total giving of myself to you and doing so in such a fashion that i, I am now committed to this relationship even to death. In fact, death is written right in the heart of it because I am saying that I make this covenant and even if it kills me to keep this covenant, I'm now giving myself to that end. And if I do not keep this covenant, may God himself join my pursuers to make sure I die. Very, very solemn thing, this covenant. And so they, they, they would not quickly make it. They, they, they would determine that uh, they, they are going to go through with this. And when the actual moment of covenant making comes, then it is done with a certain solemnity in which the two parties are declared to be now entering into covenant, and these are the promises, these are the terms, this is what it's going to mean to party A, this is what it will mean to party B, that they are giving themselves to each other. And then they cut their right arm or hand somewhere on the right and and they hold it up while the blood is running down and they swear calling on God to witness this union that they these two parties even unto blood they are entering into this union 
And then the two bloody hands, the, the right hand of the one, the right hand of the other, are brought together. The blood is mingled. It's where we get our Western handshake because when that originated, the palms were filled with blood and the handshake meant our bloods are mingled. We are become one. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never be disloyal. I am with you unto death. And it came together. And, and of course, I, I've seen this around the world in, in countries that we dismiss as third world who have much deeper understanding of relationship and life where once that is done, it cannot be broken. You understand among the Indian nations of North America, uh, they, they made covenant, I'm sure they still do, uh, and, and they do not have, this is fascinating to me, in their language, and I know for sure in the Sioux language, there is no word for a broken covenant because they could not comprehend that ever happening. And, of course, the white man came, made covenant, and broke every covenant that he made, which uh, just left the the uh, Native Americans um, speechless. Covenant. Uh, among the Arab people, that they have a name for a person who is in covenant, and that name is friend, but the, they, they say of the friend that... Blood is thicker than milk, meaning that we may have two brothers who have uh, taken the same mother's milk. But if you have taken in that action the, the blood of another, then that is stronger than a milk brother or a natural brother. You are bound. You are blood brothers. And so it... it, it defined what the Bible means by love. You see, love is not some sweet, sugary thing that lasts for a few hours. It's a, not love. A, 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 people come and say, you know, I love him, I love him. Well, you hardly know the chap. I, I mean, you, no. Love means this in the scripture. When you read love, it's not having nice woozy thoughts about someone. It's not looking at someone with sheep eyes. No, love means this. When the Bible speaks of love, let me say it again, it means this. This is what love is, this commitment. And so when it speaks of love, it means love until death. You, you, you would be true to say that a covenant meant in fact a death and a resurrection because to enter such a relationship yeah i mean really and truly you died to your total independence you 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 now have brought someone else in a certain defined relationship of giving you receiving giving your your other person receiving, giving, you, you are covenanted. But that relationship has introduced a certain death to yourself as a, an independent loner. And, and now, in the making of the covenant, a resurrection has taken place and a new entity has come into being where two persons now who are committed to each other even till death, they, they are now an entity, a, a union. Two persons have become one. It, it's, it's what I call covenant math. One plus one equals one. The two together. You could say a new soul has come into being, though there be two bodies. Well, it's, it's a love that transcends human love because it means I'm faithful to you until death. Therefore, I accept you. I accept you. And I choose to accept you as you are. 
And I know that things will happen down the road that uh, will bring pain. It, it, it will bring decisions that have to be made because of this total acceptance of you. I might get hurt by giving myself thus to you, but that's part of the commitment. Uh, a total acceptance of each other as is. Okay, as is. Not, not love you as you should be, ought to be, hope you will be, check up you every day to see if you are. No, just this love commitment. Love commitment. No stars in your eyes because you know what ultimately this could mean. But you, you determine it's your free choice. You will this to enter into such a covenant. And the big word is a shared life. It's union. So that you go on your way and do your business, but you know that there is a, an invisible thread that holds us together. And in the day of your need, you can call on the covenant partner and all of that covenant partner's resources will be yours with no questions asked. You also go through your day knowing that because of this union that you may be called upon and fulfilling the covenant in whatever way. Bound together, you understand that? Bound together, shared life, two persons living with one purpose. Union, that's the word, union. Two, become functionally one and of course, in many cases in the near Middle East, in the days of the Bible, this happened between nations. Nations entered into such a covenant and, and therefore they could never go to war against each other. If one of them was touched, the other immediately came to their help and so on. Um, it, it happened between families. It happened between individuals. Covenant. You get out there into the Middle East into Asia, and you will find this is the, the way people think. This is how they look at their families, look at their neighbors, that they are people in a covenant. That there is a certain idea attached to covenant that the, the covenant partner with whom you have shed blood, that person is in a certain sense yours. You would speak of that person as my friend. If, if Go out there in that world I'm talking about and hear someone say that person is my friend and people will regard you with a certain sort of sense of honor and awe. They know you mean that is my covenant blood. Brother, sister, uh, big, big words, a possession of one another, my. And, and, and it would be mutual. Mutual, because a mutual self-giving covenant. Now, that that was a very it was a day on your calendar. It would be remembered maybe more than your birthday. It, it was the the day in, in which you met together. It would come to a grand finale in a feast, a very simple feast actually. When it got down to it. The actual feast was usually just a piece of bread, a cup of wine, and you would eat and drink together out of the same cup, off the same plate, the same piece of bread, and that would be it. That would be the declaration, the covenant is ratified. Now it is so, it is. For, for to, how many times, especially in Africa, uh, I, I have visited with a paramount chief and, and offered him bread uh, or he has offered me bread and we've both broken that bread and eaten of the same piece from that time on i am treated with supreme honor given open doors because i am in a kind of covenant with the, with the paramount chief um now how does that work out day by day, six months from when it was done, six years. How does that work out? How's it practical? There, there is now between the covenant partners 
a certain, and I don't know the word to use, a personal energy. I, I mean, there is a mystical connection. There, there is an invisible flow of life from the one to the other, from the other to the back. There, even though they may be removed, but there is that energy of flow. You're always, you live with the awareness of the other and you live with the awareness of the other's present need and already there's that invisible flow of life, of love, this kind of covenant love, loyal love that flows between, which means that I'm always there for you. We are always there for each other. Uh, that invisible yet intensely personal, and I say personal because energy, that's just this power, but this is personal in that the, the actual person with whom you're in covenant is mystically there. So it's not just a power I'm talking about. It's not even some sort of uh, faceless love. This is the mystical presence of the giving person ready to be there for you. And that word is loving kindness. At least it, that's how it's translated in our New American Standard Bible and some others. Uh, sometimes it's translated as loyal love. The fact is we have a problem translating it because you see in the West, we don't give any commitment like that. We don't even know what he's talking about. To, to commit ourselves to, to such a relationship is so foreign to, to a people that are an entitlement mind who stand with their hands out saying, you owe me, give me. How can you comprehend what I'm talking about here? And, and so in, in the Western world where our fists are white in grasping, um, what word do you have for a relationship in which you give and you give and you give uh, and, and you trust, you are vulnerable to the word of another that is also foreign to our Western world? And so we have a problem, and the, and the, but the word that describes what I'm saying here, this dynamic, this ever-present, this ever-giving relationship, loving kindness. Now, the amazing thing of the scripture, that which changed my life, and nearly 50 years ago established this ministry, was the realization, I can't say revelation because it's there on every page of Scripture, but the Holy Spirit woke me up, maybe that's the word, certainly revealed what was in plain sight, that the entire Bible is the unfolding of the most incredible reality that human brains have ever looked at. And that is that God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, willed to and has achieved entering into a functioning covenant with us. Yes, let that sink in. Everything I've said in the last half an hour of a covenant and how it works between humans, the message of the Bible right from its first chapter, you are dealing with God who his will, his purpose, his unending, unflinching, unmoving intention achieved finally in Jesus Christ is that he would enter into a functioning covenant with us. Now, hold it just a minute. What, what does that mean? Take everything, take everything I've said. The, the two become one. That uh, It's a shared life. That, that all that makes up my life, I now 
and with this invisible, mystical, personal energy, I'm giving it to you and I'm there as you need, even as you are returning. Okay, I can begin to understand that with humans. Begin to. But when one party of the covenant is God, <laughs> oh boy. I mean, we are speaking of everything that God is. I mean, covenants have no prenuptials. <laughs> Covenant is the giving of myself. And we're speaking of God in, in his limitless, limitless love, his limitless goodness. In fact, let me bring this other thing in. That the Hebrew people were very hesitant to use the word God. They held the name in such awe. And so they would substitute the word God for heaven. And heaven, when you read the kingdom of heaven and so on, you are speaking of the God place. You are speaking of the God being, everything that it means to be God. All that it means to have the manifest, realized presence of God. Now that's really God, heaven, they, they are basically the same word. It's a synonym. And, and so... Do, do you realize what I'm saying here? That God willed that his whole being, heaven, should actually join with earth. And that there should be this covenant relationship, this total giving of the very being of God into earth covenant that to earth human heaven father son and holy spirit should be joined together in an unbreakable union well there's a lot of things and i <laughs> what has man to give I, I'm a creature, the very breath I breathe, uh, the breath by which I would say amen to such a covenant. That breath is given to me by God. I have nothing to give. And I'm already part of a human family that has slammed the door on God's face. If this covenant could ever be a reality it has to be it has to be by nature of the case 100 percent from the god side in fact when he was revealing this in its most beginning of beginnings to abraham in making such a covenant god put abraham to sleep and God made covenant with Abraham, but he, God, took the place of Abraham as well as himself. And God swore by himself that through Abraham the whole world would come into this covenant blessing. God must do this if heaven is ever going to penetrate into earth and the creature of earth become one with God, God must do that. God must do it. It's interesting to look in the Old Testament as he begins to unfold this, making covenants with humans, which were, what shall I say, they fell short of the finale because of the weakness of the human. But, uh, as I said, with Abraham, it was God coming to one family in order through that one family to get to every family on earth. For the descendant of Abraham was Jesus. But that family understood 
that the, the heart of this heaven comes to earth. And so they, they built a tabernacle, they built a temple. That wasn't just a building. At the heart of both those places, the tabernacle first and then the temple, there was an innermost place called Holy of Holies, Most Holy. And there was the visible presence of God. God, when they lived in tents, God in his tent was in the middle of them. Do you understand me? Heaven has now come to earth and lives in a tent with a people whose very being is to bring this reality to the whole world through Jesus. When Solomon built the temple, because now we're living in in houses in Jerusalem, he built the temple and the glory of God, the very presence of God came to live in that now made of stone, but that, that holy, most holy place filled with the glory of God. God dwelt among his people. Heaven actually came to earth. And yet, of course, it, it, it fell short. fell short because the people continually ran away from any relationship with God. Yet still, if you go through the prophets, you'll hear the phrase, God wills that I will be your God. You shall be my people. You should understand that now. God is saying a mutual possession. I give myself to you. I will be your God. You shall be my people. Covenant, covenant. And all the way through the Old Testament, he moves on their behalf. He he. In, in, in tangible fashion, he loved them, protected them. His loving kindness, his actual presence came into their lives, came into their daily events, came into their fields and their flocks and their herds and their homes and their cooking. Wherever they looked, they were talking of the loving kindness of God, that his presence is with us, and it's a a, a presence of power. It's a presence so personal. It's him, but he's sharing our lives down to the smallest details. Loving kindness, loving kindness. Uh, The active presence, love, now, as a committed presence in my life, in my innermost being, making me wise in my thinking, in my heart thoughts, giving me joy and peace that are beyond this heaven-touching earth, even healing my body, even blessing my flocks and my herds and all that my hands touch. Loving kindness. Do you understand now why the gospel in the New Testament is called the new covenant? New being a word that means like you've never seen before. And it's covenant. And in Hebrews 13, it says, by the blood of the everlasting covenant, the blood of Jesus was the blood of the everlasting covenant. Jesus becomes the covenant that God always intended. For in Jesus, you have a creature of earth who is at the same time God joined one God came right inside the very guts of the human race, became one of us, and joined us. One. But then he's going to do what we can never do, which is bring to pass the death of death. He is going to bring to pass the final destruction of the works of the enemy and strip Satan of his authority. He is going to actually join us with himself, which means join us into the Holy Trinity by sheer gift so that we can participate in heaven while on earth. We can walk 
in love, God kind of love. Walk in God kind of joy and peace. And when he rose from the dead, it was done. By his blood, he has destroyed death. He has put away sin. He has destroyed and stripped Satan of authority. Now, that's the covenant. But now he gives to us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the now presence of God is the personal, the intense personal presence of God who actually brings into my, your, our experience the presence of the Father and Jesus the Son. <laughs> yeah, the Holy Spirit is that loving kindness, personal, invisible ultimately real energy of God in our lives from the minute we get up to when we go to bed, watching over us while we sleep. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. The covenant in daily operation. David, we're back to the psalm. David sat in that desert having lost all, with his very life threatened every moment, and the promises of God seeming very remote. But listen now in the light of what I've said. There in the desert scrub, under the shadow of a rock, maybe, he said, oh God, <clears throat> the oh, it's a great longing, oh God, but then he says something that only a person who realizes the covenant can say. I mean, anybody, anybody, anybody can say, oh God. But only a person who has come to hear the good news of covenant can say, thou art, present tense, is now, thou art my God. Only a covenant person would dare to lay claim to some sort of possession of God. You are my God. All that you are is mine. And so in response to that, I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you and so on. That is, there's more to this desert than meets the eye, you see. More, much, there's more here. I'm not alone in this desert. You are my God and you are here. My heart reaches out to you. My, I respond to your covenant love initiative. I respond to you. There's more here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not alone. And you have sworn by your very self, your very being to protect me, to be my food and my drink. Then he says, thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary. He said, sitting here in this desert, I'm seeing with inside eyes. I'm seeing you in, the, what's he mean in the sanctuary? That was that most holy place in the middle of the tabernacle. David said, I'm sitting here but I'm seeing you in the most holy place, your, your presence on earth. I am seeing you as the bringer of heaven to earth. And earth right now is this desert. So you're bringing to me heaven right here. I see, I see. See your power, your glory. He said, and that relationship, that personal presence of the most intense love that sees me, knows me, accepts me and loves me, that is better than life itself. By which he means, 
I could have everything the palace offers. I could right now be the king of Israel. I could now be everything in terms of luxury and wealth and everything. But he said, without this covenant union, without this functioning, realized presence, your loving kindness, life is nothing. Life indeed would be a desert, scorched place. But your loving kindness is better than life. Your presence with me is better than life. And therefore, he says, my soul is satisfied. Satisfied with a food that feeds me from the inside out. And that is in the Psalms. That was written 1,000 years before Jesus came. And when we come to Jesus and the new covenant, the new covenant takes all of the old and fulfills it and finally does it to God's intention. Not with the blood of an animal, but the blood of Jesus. Not just with, with, with blood on the right hand, but death itself. Yes, he did love us unto death. Yes, he came into our death to bring us into his life. Covenant. And his Holy Spirit, who is personal loving kindness, came and dwells in us so that us, our bodies, are called in the Scripture the most holy place. You have become where the glory of God dwells on earth. You have become where heaven touches earth. And can I say that that is normal covenant life? To make a covenant without loving kindness would be a joke. That, that wouldn't be a covenant. The covenant is done. Covenant brings into being a new situation. But the covenant working minute by minute, that's the loving kindness. And, and tragically, so many believers only have an historical fact that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and died and rose again and went away. No, the gospel is a covenant was made. A new understanding has come into being. Heaven has come to earth in Jesus. And now through the Holy Spirit... Heaven has come to earth in me, in my family, where I am, in my life. I mean, Jesus taught us to pray for this before he died and accomplished it. Right? Have you said that prayer so many times you've forgotten what it says? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, can you get that's covenant language? He is saying everything that God wills and is now being in heaven now be here on earth in your life. And your life in extension, where you are. I know that's shocking, isn't it? Because you see, you, you've been sold down the river on the idea you've got to wait to die to get that. Go to heaven when I die. No, the scripture says heaven begins now. When the Holy Spirit, who is the loving kindness of God in person, bringing to pass, effecting the covenant, actualizing its reality day after day after day. And, of course, the scripture, Jesus said, this is life. In fact, he had to use a different word. The word for just being alive is the Greek word bios, from which we get our word biography and so on, biology. 
just being alive. Amazing, but but Jesus used a different word. He says, I am the life, but the word he used was Zoe in the Greek language. He was life as we never have experienced life. And when he defined it in John 17, 3, he said, this is eternal life, or to really translate that, the, the Zoe life of the ages. This, this, this is life as God intended, that you might know or have intimate union with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's life. That's living. That's experiencing loving kindness better than life. It transcends merely being alive. David, in writing this psalm, is in the desert, but he's not of it, you understand. Or as Paul said in Colossians, Christ, who is our life? Oh, wake up. Please, please, please. Get out of this musty, dead world of religion that merely reports on a 2,000-year-old event and recognize that that event is immediately present in the person of the Holy Spirit who is now God blessing you from your innermost being to your outermost person right down to everything you touch. In the desert, in the desert. If you, let, let me put it this way. If your God is a God of conditional love, which religion portrays him to be, conditional love, that is, I love you today. I love you right now because you're doing things right. But if you, hold it, a conditional God, then that's a contract. That means God has made a contract to protect himself from you, to say that if you do this and if you do that, and if you don't do that, if you don't go there, I will love you. But if you do this and do this and go there, then I, I'm, I'm mad with you. Oh, you're very familiar. I know some of you are very familiar with that kind of portrayal of God, blasphemy. No, he didn't make a contract. The entire Bible would call contract, in terms of God, sin. He made covenant. He comes and he gives himself away to us. You see, there are many believers who cannot get excited about God. And if they are in the desert, in the situation of David, they wouldn't get excited like this. I mean, here, here is in all that we've said... He says, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name like a little toddler running to mommy, daddy, granddad, and grandma. You know, my soul is satisfied. Hold it. I don't meet too many people who are excited about God in the middle of their desert. No, because their God is conditional. Religion would say, if you're in such a desert, you must be judged by God. There's some sin in your life, or you don't have enough faith. That's why you're in the desert. No, David was in the desert because Saul was consumed with jealousy and rage. And so when David went into the desert, God went into the desert with him. Got it. Out of the desert, he said, you are my, is, present tense, you are my God. See, conditional love, if, if God loves us on condition that we're good children, well, then that, that puts everything on me. God has nothing much to do with it. If, if I fulfill the demands, then God will love me. It's all up to me. No, this is all up to God. I, God loves me because he is love, not because I'm a jolly good chap. God loves you because that's the way he is. Do you realize this takes you, me, totally out of control? I cannot control God. 
Oh, religion does. Religion says to God, you can't love me right now because I've been bad. But after so many days of weeping and saying, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm no good, after answering 200 altar calls, maybe you can love me again. I'll give you permission. No, God loves you without your permission. God loves you without your determining whether you're good enough to be loved or not good enough to be loved. It's nothing to do with you. God is love. And that love is covenant love. And that love pursues you to death. That love will never leave you, never forsake you. That's the way it is. Well, my time is almost gone. So let me quickly say, we learn to walk. You know what I mean by that? Just walk through life, whether that walk is to the supermarket or to the shopping mall or to the church or to ministry or whatever we're up to. Walk and do our job in the field or in the office or in the school, in the universe, whatever. We walk under the continual understanding And I, I'm tempted right now. The word understanding, it means to pull together. And it means to, what I'm saying is pulled together, not only in your mind, but pulled together in the heart of your being, and then pulled together in now you begin to live and act and speak and think and imagine in the light of that. So it's all pulled together. Learn. And for some of you dear people, it might be a few weeks of realizing how far you are from this good news and to bring your very being in, in orient, reorientate yourself to this truth. Well, let me put it this way. Accept in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept your acceptedness. Accept your acceptance. That's a big one, isn't it? That you are totally, as you sit and watch and listen to this, you are accepted by the Father through Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit witnesses that in your heart. You're accepted. Welcome home. Accept your acceptance. No more silly promises about your try and be good. You see, see, conditional love can never say you are my God. Conditional love will always say you will be when I get my act together. Covenant always says is because God has done it through Jesus. Conditional religion always said, well, that will be true when you've stopped doing this and start doing this and take an... an it's always future. And it's, it's, it, it's a mirage in the desert. You never get there because when you get to what they say today, they, they move the goalposts. Never get there. No, it is so. Accept. Accept your belovedness. Accept that you are now the beloved as is, just as you are. You are beloved of the Father. He has given you Jesus, and Jesus has given you himself. The Holy Spirit, you're beginning to hear his voice saying, that is so, that is so, you're his beloved. Accept it. Accept that loving kindness of God, which means accept the reality that as you open your eyes in the morning through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit in your life, this day is where heaven and earth intersect. I am where heaven and earth intersect. That when I speak, my words are life. When I lay hands on people, I actually become the means by which God loves them to health, brings them peace and joy. You are where heaven meets earth. Which changes your conversation, changes your outlook. Have you noticed there's no complaining here? I mean, 
do I have to say it again? In a trackless desert where there's hardly any food, you'd have to search all day for water, you've lost everything, and somebody's trying to kill you, has all the power on earth to do it. And he's not complaining. Why? Because he said, I'm seated in the middle of loving kindness. I'm a covenant man. There's more here than meets your two eyes and two ears. Learn to see through the deserts of life and give praise to him. Well, I could keep going. This is a lot more there. Maybe we will one day. But right now, Go live in the loving kindness of God through the blood of the new covenant brought into your life by the Holy Spirit, which is so right now as you listen to my words. And you will discover that the loving kindness of God is better than what we've been calling life. Amen. And now the blessing of God who is almighty covenant love the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit be in you and with you, communicating Jesus to you and bringing you to cry with delight and joy that you are a child of the Father. That's the way it is. We shall be together again next week. Malcolm Smith's ministry is dedicated to guiding believers into the reality of experiencing daily fellowship with the Father. This has been another message by Malcolm Smith. For more information and more teachings by Malcolm Smith, including a full catalog, please visit www.malcolmsmith.org.